In a world of EMS podcasters, EMS Office Hours is the only live podcast bringing you the latest topics and opinions in EMS. Turn down your scanner and turn up your speakers as we join Jim Hoffman and Josh Knapp on their latest EMS podcasting journey. Hoffman. And this is Josh Knapp. Josh, how are we doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited about tonight. I know. Why don't you tell us all why? Oh, uh, you know, I, I'd love to tell you why, but it's a big secret, and then I'd have to kill you. Uh, Actually, uh, I'm bringing a friend of mine with us tonight. Uh, his name is Dave Brenner, and he's a, uh, a medic out from Long Island, uh, Long Long Island, Longy Island, Longy Island from New York, Ick. and uh, he's been in EMS a little while, so he has an opinion or two, and um, he's been an educator. But I'll let uh, when we get rolling with it, I'll I'll let Dave tell you a little bit more about himself. All right. Well, you know what? Let me just uh, mention that this episode is sponsored by uh, EMS Manager. And I encourage listeners to go check them out it's over at emsmanager.net. They can get a free trial of their uh, easy-to-use and, and, I think, innovative EMS employee scheduling and management software. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them midway through the show. But for now, uh, Dave, uh, before we get into tonight's topic, maybe just give the listeners um, a little bit about yourself, sort of introduce yourself a little bit so that they know where you're coming from uh, during the discussion. Oh, sure, sure. Um, as you guys said, I've been doing this uh, almost 35 years. Came in EMT in 79 uh, after joining the Holbrook Long Island Fire Department. And uh, as a volunteer, I guess I'll let that out of the uh, out of the bag right now. I've oh, been a volunteer. Lord, we let a volunteer in. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm sorry, Jim. I didn't know he was a volunteer. That's all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I... I've been doing it ever since. I'm pretty uh, pretty active, uh, very active. I've been out here on Long Island. I've been through the ranks a few times as lieutenant and captain, lieutenant and captain, and lieutenant again. And uh, as you said, I've been involved in uh, training and education since 1981 or more uh, or earlier, um, teaching EMT, ALS classes and involved in paramedic classes and uh, some paramedic programs at colleges, and sharing sharing REMSCO once or twice. Hey, that's that's pretty cool, pretty cool stuff, I think. Um, And I think one thing I want to say, Josh, you know, you mentioned that, that, uh, you know, he's been in EMS, Dave's been in EMS for a while, and uh, he's got a lot of opinions, but in EMS, as you know, you only have to be in it for about 24 hours, and you get uh, plenty of opinions. I thought you just had to look at the uh, registration card for a course before you could have an opinion. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, think- a- actually, the truth is, guys, if you just watch an ambulance, ambulance go down the street, you are permitted an opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, what were you going to say, Dave? I was going to say the opinion is a requirement before you get into the EMT class. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, though. That's true. <laughs> well, you know, there are lots I didn't know I had so many opinions until I was in the EMT class. <laughs> you know, and, and, well, and... I have a lot of opinions. And the truth is, right, you know, they say, oh, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. But the truth is, is that People really have more than one, and they only really have one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And somehow we survive. I know. I know. Well, what I, what I wanted to talk about today, especially with some of the things you see going on in, in some of these, um, you know, active shooter things, and after the fact, a lot of times you hear about uh, the person had post-traumatic stress going on for some reason or another, I thought to think about, you know, uh, EMS providers and how a lot of us probably walk around with, you know, uh, PTSD and either aren't recognizing it or aren't getting it treated. And and I have to wonder, you know, is is it a matter of time before, you know, your partner 
ends up being sort of that ticking time bomb, or you become that ticking time bomb. And I'm not saying you're going to go on a, a, a killing spree, but, you know, where it affects you at a much deeper level than, you know, just sort of carrying this weight around. Um, and, you know, looking online, I saw some articles about it, and, and uh, you know, and most of it is, is they talk about, you know, the signs and what to look out for and what causes it and things like that. And some places try to equate it with, with burnout, that it's the same thing. And it's, it's really, it's not the same thing. You know, being burnt burnt out in EMS is not really having, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress. I think it's something totally different. And I, I just started to wonder, like, how many places are, are actually recognizing it or offering uh, employees uh, a way to sort of, deal with it or are the employees kind of left up to their own devices in seeking help whether it's uh, uh you know therapy or, or even medications you know um because i think that this job you know uh, much like a lot of jobs like it you know police and fire and, and uh even the military where you've got this going on i think we're more susceptible to it than other professions might be i think it's a matter of enlightenment jim um, I think that we're in the same sort of boat if you have a progressive management that, um, and, I, and I hate to put it this way, but cares about their, their workforce, they're going to be more forward and they're going to be more proactive with these sort of problems because they're real problems. Um, I also think that there's some issues with um, it's sort of like global warming, you know, uh, uh, some of the scientists, you know, 98% can say there's global warming. The 2% Here we go. don't get, get no, uh, get, get the same amount of ear, ear, airplay. Uh -huh. And what's going on with PTSD, which, and I've read a couple of papers that basically said, hey, listen, if you're a first responder, you're better equipped to deal with the stresses of PTSD. Um, and I always thought that was kind of interesting because I was like, well, what makes us different? I mean, is there some sort of filtration system that happens at EMT school that weeds out the people who can't? And, you know, it's just it's just more ignorance that adds confusion to the whole uh, to the whole uh, subject. I think, you know, it may even be the reverse, that if you're a first responder, if you're an EMT, a paramedic, police officer or a firefighter, you are more susceptible to PTSD by virtue of what makes you good at those jobs. For example, a person who's good at those jobs can go into a scene, size it up, get a good picture of it, and hold on to that picture all the way through the scene so it, it gets managed. Good firefighters know the layout of the places that they go into. They can remember it. And when we remember stuff like that, that stuff haunts us, you know, not, it's an asset in the job, but when you can't forget it, when you can't get rid of it, it may not be the best thing. Right. So you're saying that sort of the the environment that we're raised in, Dave, is to say, you know, keep it under your, keep it to yourself. You know, you you can tough it out um, and and live with it. And this stuff is like a corrosive acid; it eats you from the inside. Well. I, I don't know that I said that. I, I've heard that said. What, what I said was is that those of us who are good at our jobs are able to remember these things uh, and remembering them, closing your eyes and seeing, oh gosh, and seeing a dead baby because mm -hmm. you closed your eyes and you saw that baby that you saw five years ago or 10 minutes ago. Right. That's not a good thing. Sometimes being able to forget not holding on to the memories is a good thing. However, uh, what you also said was true that uh, there's a little bit of the environment that we're that we work in uh, that yeah. adds to this. I I I think there is. I think there's a, a macho out there where some people. Uh, uh, I I do remember the first time we had pe we had responders crying on the ambulance, and it was only after we finally. And it was a long, it was a big issue. We got women on the ambulance in Holbrook. They joined the fire department. It was, it was a struggle. They had to make a special EMS division. So now we could not only let people in for EMS, but it was easier for women to get in. And we were on this awful call. And one of the women in the back and the EMT in the back started crying. 
And everybody started crying. It was one of the best things that ever happened. It was a horrifying event and people needed to cry. It's just none of us would ever have cried on the ambulance before. Yeah, because, you know, if you cried on the ambulance, you're just looked at as, you know, yeah. a weakling. What's wrong with you? Right, exactly. And and I think that... And I was going to say, do you think that's part of the reason why, you know, that ends up developing? Because a lot of us don't... Um, express it that we hold that we do hold on to it we hold on to those you know that exposure that we had to that trauma or whatever it is it was i think i think we hold on to it i think we keep it quiet i think uh it's kind of like driving on the lie if you use your blinker it's a sign of weakness <laughs> if you, if, yeah. if, if you tell exactly people right <laughs> yeah, if you tell people that call really shook me up it makes me feel rotten i can't get it out of my head yeah, you know, what do they say? Man up. Right. I, and I, I think, think, and I think even that's part of the, the issue, I think, is that we, we, we don't have those outlets, you know, to do it. And sometimes, you know, the, the I mean, it, I was looking at some of the stuff online and some of the, the articles written about uh, PTSD and EMS, and, and they talk about the, um, the CI, uh, CISD, um, you know, debriefing that you go through. Right. You no. Know, um, and that a lot of times that they don't necessarily um, help or hurt one another. They don't really equate to one another because the PTSD is something that doesn't always have to be something that happens that one time. It could be something that, that happens at one time and affects you years later. It could be a continued, um, you know, uh, um, uh, um, exposure you know, to these things that, that does it, that prolonged sort of trauma that, that, that ends up sort of disrupting the, the, the brain chemistry and causing that? Well, I, you know, I think there's another thing that goes on. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is a long-term stress, and long-term stress under any condition will change brain chemistry. I mean, that's just showing. And, you know, uh, leading into other psychological issues like depression or constant anxiety or things like that are stressors on the body and they and they can also uh, uh, avail themselves to changing brain chemistry but we're not immune to that and I think one of the things that happens is that there's a nod there's always been a nod to critical incident stress uh, debriefing in EMS but I think there's been a lot of fake it till you make it you know, people take one course and think that they're um, uh, counselors and can go in and do this or, or that people, you know, aren't sure when to go do it or when the time comes, they're not sure on how to go do it. I mean, I've been in a few um, group, you know, sort of counseling or debriefing or, or sessions, and uh, they've all been different, and they didn't seem to follow a formula. And when I took the course on how to do it, they certainly didn't go with that part of the course. I'm just, you know, I mean, Dave, you you said you've been on a team for a while and you did the the flight 800. I mean, have you done minor ones as well? Or what? I, yeah, minor in the sense that they didn't make the newspaper. Yes, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, that's what I think people don't I think realize that's too. A great is that, point. Yeah, is that a lot of what. Uh, we see as providers isn't, isn't necessarily something you see in the newspaper all the time. A lot of it is the stuff that's not, you know, doesn't never makes the media, and sometimes never even goes beyond you and your partner. Sometimes it's it's stuff that you don't want to talk about at breakfast with the children there. Yeah, you know, oh, how was your day today? Well, you know, a seven week old baby uh, was in cardiac arrest and didn't make it. Oh, um, and uh, passed the Cheerios. You're right. This drunk teenager decided to surf a train and, and sort of ended up between two stops, mm, literally. Yes. Literally, yes. No, or, or just one giant line. <laughs> yeah. But, gallows, you know, gallows humor. Gallows humor. And we, we've done, uh, you know, Jim and I in past shows have actually done a, a part on EMS humor and said, you know, is there something wrong with us? Is there something that is uh, special, the EMS special? Um, TMS that allows us to absorb this, or is this just like workplace humor? And I find that there's the same sort of thing in hospitals, but 
I think also that sense of humor has been chalked up to helping de-stress us when we're facing a situation that's that's very difficult. But I think we need more. Yeah, we certainly do. I, I can tell you that um, I'm going to go back a few more years. Um, I, I have a couple of years on you guys. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, 1968, I became a lifeguard and, uh, in New York City beaches. And uh, I was introduced to a, uh, a situation where when people died, when they drowned on the beach, um, you know, the people, the lifeguards felt awful. I mean, clearly, we, we felt awful. And, and a lot of the times, we were just 17, 18 years old. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't understand what, what we were experiencing. Clearly, this was, this was a critical incident for us. Um, but there was nothing there for us. So what the lifeguards had was a death party. All right, They would take the person whose beach, the person or persons whose beach it was on, and they would buy a keg, and they would um, they'd get loaded. You know, I mean, because we didn't know what else to do. And then, uh, you know, so, and we were kids. I mean, we didn't have as many adults. I, although I will tell you now that uh, I did that for 24 years, and I know there are lifeguards doing it now for 40, 50 years, because they won't get off the beach. God bless tradition. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But I, I think uh, I think we've always had this, and it's it's uh, we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know what to do with it then. Uh, of course, uh, I told people uh, at one point, they said, you know, we can have a party even if nobody dies. And uh, let's try not to let them die. But that was my sarcasm back then. I don't know that I would do that now. Yeah, we sort of have a party. It's every night after tour, right? <laughs> I don't know. You guys have tours. Yeah. I, just have, I just have nights. <laughs> So, so does Jim. I'm uh, I'm of that that weird holdback where they actually expect us to show up at a certain hour. Yeah, you know it's it, it's. I was reading um some of the comments that do talking about this over at the, one of the gems um, forums and somebody I put in there he was, he was in the military and you know, talks about how there is uh, uh, this thought process that uh, a way to deal with some of the stuff that you have to see all the time is to act without compassion or remorse or without empathy. And, you know, he was mentioning that uh, that that's the type of thing that we have to watch out for in ourselves and, and in our coworkers because that could be the first sign that something is wrong when somebody is shutting down, you know, from it all. You know, it's one thing having that gallows humor, but then it's another thing with, you know, not having any kind of compassion or any remorse or, or anything like that um, to do it. And you're just sort of like acting like, you know, you're just working on, the, on a on a computer or something and you're not dealing with, with people. But some people find it that it's easier for them to do their job when they start feeling that these um, experiences are, are affecting what they're doing. It's easier for them to sort of shut down and just be sort of this mechanical type thing, you know. That's a, that's a shame when that happens because caring about the people that we take care of, they can tell. They sure. Can tell. That's, oh, yeah. a, that's part of what we do. You know, and I've been working hard on that because it wasn't something I could naturally show. And uh, I think it makes all the difference. And the funny thing is, is we're so good at, pretending to be empathetic you know i mean that's just one of those things you know um that you know when you're engaged with your patient and you're you're doing your assessment or you're doing treatment you can sort of put on this face that i know what you're going through i understand i've been there too i can help you with this you know to raise confidence but those same skills seem to just work against us when we need to be a little bit bare. If we get attached, it hurts when they die or get sick or, or whatever. Or they reminded that, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've come home from some terrible calls back back years ago and stood over my kids to watch them breathe. Yeah, I think a lot of people have done that, especially when you have, when it's a, you know, um, a young, you know, young yeah. child. Uh, you have a call like that, and, and I think a lot of people have that sort of tendency to do that, you know. Um, 
And I think even if the EMS providers, we end up sort of doing that type of thing just in general. I mean, I, I knew people that would you know, constantly uh, feel behind them. When the kid was back in the, in the car seat, they'd reach back in and make sure the kid was still warm, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they they have this sort of constant thing that you know it could be them, and you say to yourself a lot of times you 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 come across some of these situations where, um, you know people, young people get injured or killed and 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 whatever, and you 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 it's sort of like an eye opener that that we are fragile and we're no, we're no different than the patients we're taking care of, you know, it can it can affect us, it can you know affect us more directly than, you know what we'd like to admit, I guess. You know, we're not really immune to to those things happening. And I think you know. that's the first responder, it's almost the first responder credo, and it's sort of what we were talking about at the very beginning, where we're just told to shut up, smile, and get through it. And that's sort of what we're taught. We're not taught that these feelings have a place that we're supposed to, you know, that we're human too, and we can have, struggles with them and we can you know relate badly to a bad call and um and sometimes you know how many times have you had a bad call and you have another call that sort of has the same earmarks you know the mm. person you know you have that call where the guy has some chest discomfort but it's basically up talking to you it doesn't really look bad and all of a sudden the next thing he's dead and then the next time you have somebody who's you know a hiccup you're like Oh wait! Yeah. You know, so, a lot of a lot of this is expectation when we go into this field. I, I get to see, and I'm sure you've seen it, but as an instructor, I get to see people as they're stepping into this field. Why are they going into EMS? And and my whole routine has changed. I, you know, people are going there. They want to help people. They uh, they would like to deliver babies. They would like to save a life. I mean, that's that's glorified. Um, they would like to use the AED and uh, save somebody, and they just want to know how to do CPR in case somebody in their family has it. I get that. But I'm going to tell you that uh, my students will attest to it, and it's a little bit different, a little bit off. The very first day in class, I tell them that, we're, that we see horrible things, that they're terrible, seriously terrible. And uh, I have this place in my head that I go to, for some horrible things that I've seen. And I'm standing there in front of the class and I'm crying. I tell them this is a bad place. And I don't tell them what I see, but the tears can stream out of my eyes. And uh, I think, and, and then, you know, when we do pediatrics, you know, and I tell them, I said, this, this sounds great, you know, but there's, there's terrible things to see. Yeah, the reality to it that I think a lot of people don't understand it. And, you know, I don't. I don't think that the the, the classroom environment prepares people enough. You know, for you know, even even in class two, when when you get to the trauma and stuff, and they, you know, the, the the instructor starts showing, you know, the the picture trauma pictures of the whatever crash and and a decapitated this and a burnt that and everyone's like, oh wow, you know, it's so cool. I can't believe. Yeah. It. And then when you get to it in real life, it is way different when you see, you know brains and you know up close and you see an amputation up close and you know a massive head injury up close it is like night and day as opposed to looking to a picture in the textbook and their spouse their brother their sister their mother their father their children are standing next to them crying yeah That's or they right or they're not even obviously dead and you're working them up and your brother the sister family children are sitting there saying do something can i talk to them Oh, they're okay. Just keep on going, and you know different. And then and, they ask you, "Are they going to be all right?" And what do you say? I mean, and this is the question, you know, Dave, that I sort of have, you know, for a for an instructor, you know, person who's had the experience as, as at the front of the classroom. Are we missing something here? Are we not preparing our students? Or is there a message that we're missing? Um. I think sometimes, I think sometimes they don't get it in every class. I would like to think that every instructor is covering this in every class on what to do and, in, and with a lot of detail. I will tell you, you know, uh, I'm involved in a, a project with some, uh, some high power, uh, 
mental health workers who have, who have done this all over the world, uh, trying to draw up. And so what we're trying to do is, is uh, we, we just recently got a, we, when I say we, the folks at LaGuardia Community College and the Psych Trauma Institute have, and the Psych Trauma Institute has really amazing clinicians. We're working together to bring a, a curriculum that's useful, um, useful and, you know, almost, almost the way, uh, PHTLS is. Uh, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to package it together, give them experiences, give them the word. You were asking me, what do you say? Give them the experience, the scenario, so that I, and I remember my first time we're doing CPR. We're going out of a house. A 15 year old grabs my friend Joe and says, is my dad going to be all right? And Joe said, and I want you to remember 1980, 1980, Joe turns to him and says, it'll be okay when we get to the hospital. Now you and I know CPR in 1980. Yeah. Who's going to be right. okay when they get to the hospital? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. We didn't even know what to say. And, and even not knowing what to say is horrible. And they, they, they set us up. Uh, with such um, con conflicting messages, you know, never lie to your patient. That's one of the messages I remember continuously, whether it was EMT, medic, or, you know, going on, you know, to additional classes that I've taken. Never lie to your patient. But when they're obviously not going to do well, how do you look somebody in the eye and tell them, no, you're fucked? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that you need to be that blunt. So, I mean, I, I, I don't want to fit. What do you say? What do you, I, I'll tell you what I say, but first you tell me what you say when somebody says to you, is he going to be all right or am I going to be all right? First of all, it's okay to, be, to, to stop for a second, Dave. I'm the one who swears on this show. Uh, Jim doesn't like it, but, uh, you know, what the hell. I, um, I, I've noticed. <laughs> what I try, you know, what I try to do, I think, is what most people try to do. They try to creatively step around it or, you know, re-talk about, you know, well, you have a long road ahead of you or you have to work hard here or we really need you to focus on what what is going on right now and try your best to, you know, stay with us or whatever, you know, whatever sounds appropriate at that time. I don't think coming out right, you know, right off and saying, well, you know, from everything I've read, your labs, you know, have you a troponin of 82.7 and uh, you have an injection fraction of five, but everything's going to be fine as long as you can find another heart. Um, you know, so I try not to go down that road as bluntly. Yes. But um, so I, I so as as an instructor, I try to give my students the repertoire. You know, you know that students can, can put a person into a traction splint upside down in a car at night uh, with snow blowing in their face. But when they're asked, am I going to be all right, there's just a lot of stuttering going on. <laughs> and the reason for that is, is because they haven't answered that question at least 27 to 30 times in class in scenario. So, I, I, you know, that, that adds stress. That adds stress. Not knowing what to say adds a tremendous amount of stress to our job. So anyway, so what do you say? So, so where say, do you fit it in in the 120 state hour, you know, state hour? I was going to say that's, that's, I think, the problem. I think what, Dave, you're talking about, you know, getting a program and a curriculum is, is I think, more, I think, realistic than trying to squeeze in this type of training to help people deal with the stress and to help them to deal with what they might see um, out there eventually. Um, you know, in in a short time of EMT school, you know. Yeah. Well, we got to infuse it. We have to do something. It's not fair to throw them out there. Yeah. So, so. I mean, Tina said that talking in the chat room. I mean, she did her ride-alongs. You know, she just saw run-of-the-mill type of stuff. She didn't see anything crazy. You know, and it's like then you graduate, and now you know you, you didn't get to see anything really, really uh, horrific when you're with. A couple of experienced people. Now you're you're out there by yourself on the ambulance, and you never know what's you know what's going to happen. And, and and in this job, it's just a matter of time. You know, some of As those... Tina was saying, it's not like the TV show where you have yeah. uh, you know a bus blow up every thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, I think it's a matter of time. Some people see stuff 
as soon as they get out of school. Other people, I've heard people, you know, I haven't seen anything, you know, for three, four years. They haven't, you know, right. seen something. But then eventually it happens. And I, and I wonder sometimes, too, even when we talk about the stress and everything, if the stress levels build up over that time frame, and then when you do see it, it affects you even even um, worse because you've been anticipating it for so long. You know, you, 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 every call you get, you're like, oh, my God, is this the one? This one was going to be so graphic or so emotionally taxing that, you know, I'm going to have to figure out what to do when I haven't handled it yet. Well, there's that. I mean, just when was the last time you put on a traction splint? That's that thing, the blue bag. <laughs> right? Looks like a sliding trombone if you're right. using the hair. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 About four weeks ago in uh, in a uh, PLS uh, class. I did it on a patient, I'd say probably, I'm, I'm thinking maybe four or five months ago, I think I did it on a patient, a live, a real patient. Okay. I've done it about four times in the last 35 years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, it's not a frequent. Uh, it's not a frequent. Uh, yeah, and I think, and I actually, I think that's probably. I might have done it maybe six times on on live patients over the past twenty something years. The gym works upstate, so they, they tend to do sillier things there. By ski country. Yes. Yeah, ski country. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, a lot of people breaking their breaking their femurs up here. But uh, well, you know, this guy was in a car was in a car. But you know, but still, the, the, but the thing is, like you said, it's it's a it, that's the type of thing where you don't do it all the time. You know. Well, and then so that we need to rehearse this all the time. If if you get out of if we do it in in my class, and it's never done again, and it's it's not a standalone class. It's not like a PhDLS. AMLS, ACLS, any of the alphabet classes, if it's not like that, we may never see it again in scenario-based uh, experience. Right. And, and it's the kind of thing that we need to keep up with, and we and we need to, so that when something terrible happens, that we have the repertoire to say the right thing, that we know how to put on our traction split, but we know how to say to people, this is a terrible event, you know, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm going to tell you that everything that I can do, I am going to do to help you. That's a good line. I give that line to my students. I have them practice it. I have them say it in, in awful scenarios. And when they come out of the class, they have it. I don't know what they have seven years later when they finally get to use it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And those are sort of how we learn, isn't it? You know, we hear something, you know, that I remember the first, the first, uh, baby I delivered, uh, and there was a, uh, uh, an OB, uh, there at the time, and they had taken over and they said, well, that's great, you know, see one, do one, teach one. And that sort of seems to be the creed by which we live. Yeah. So, you know, if you can give your students something that they can put in their toolbox, even if they only have one tool, and they can use it. I mean, the only problem with that, of course, is if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a great line. Well, I know when I first baby I delivered, I you know I had uh, both OB kids opened up with all the everything spewing all over the back of the ambulance. My partner was like, "What's all this stuff doing all over the place?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. your partner pulled out the smelling salts for you. <laughs> you know. Oh, my baby. God, this is a mess. What's going, what's, what's going on back here? I don't know. I just grabbed, I kept opening things up. You take the baby's pulse, you take the mother's pulse, and you take your pulse, right? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Okay. But I'm, I, what I was just saying was that if you have good repertoire, if, you, if you're well-trained with these awful situations, one of the things perhaps you won't get stuck with is, oh, my God, I didn't even know what to say, yeah. which only adds to the stress. That, that brings you back sure. to where you were. Yeah, I used to have a hard time when you're doing CPR on, on somebody and then you, you go out and, uh, you know, you're going to call the doc or something for orders and the family is like, what's going on? You know, how are they doing? And right. I used to have a hard time, you know, saying, well, you know, glad it's not me in there. <sighs> you know. Well, you know, so you, you, I used to say we're doing everything we can, you know, whatever they would do at the hospital, we're doing for them here. Um, I'm going to call my doctor right now and see, you know, what what he wants us to do, you know, further. And also that kind of gave me a feel as well. After a while, being able to kind of tell 
how accepting or understanding the family was as to what was going on? Were they accepting the reality that you know the the person was was dead and we were doing artificial um, ventilations and and you know and uh, uh, circulation for them? And were they going to be accepting if we indeed did end up pronouncing the patient on the scene? Like how hysterical they were going to be, or you know, or the idea of a slow code code where you right. bring the baby to the hospital anyway. I mean, that's yeah, what that, I was taught. Yeah. You know, regardless of what condition that kid is in, you bring them to the hospital. Why? Because you want to get the parents to some place where they can get some help and counseling. Yeah. yeah. You don't leave them at home. That's true. But, no, you know, we're all talking, I mean, we're all talking under this classic best-case scenario, you know, <laughs> oh, what's going on with me, Doc? And you and you look at them and say, hey, you know, I, I, things don't look good, but I'm going to do the best I can, you know, uh, and that, you know, that's sort of that best-case scenario. What happens when you have a patient that doesn't react to what you're saying in that sort of pre-programmed response of what you were expecting. And, and I think that the, tr the real truth is what we get down to it is, uh, and to make full circle to the PTSD part of this, we're not trained. We're not really, it's given short shift, and it shouldn't be. I mean, this is as equal an important part, like documentation. How much do they go over documentation in the class? Yeah, Not, you know? not enough. <laughs> and you get out and you sort of, okay, you go do this. And then if you have a good partner, hey, you can probably learn to document correctly. If you don't, you're going to be on your own for a long time. Yeah. I think it's important to know, too, you know, guys, that, that the PTSD it doesn't always have to be like a, a traumatic event. You know, it could be just somebody, you know, and, and this can happen, I think, to, to us as pre-hospital care providers, that, that sense of helplessness that, we, that we've sort of talked about a little bit, you know, tonight, even with, you know, telling people, knowing what to say you know that sense of help and helplessness can can you know bring it on as well especially if it's if it's happening over and over again you know where it's thought to sort of change yeah the cumulative effect right right exactly. i have to i have to tell you if i have pediatric codes twice a week on the ambulance instead of like once every few years yeah i'd be off the ambulance yeah was, and, and because I'm a volunteer, I get to do that. And there was a there was a, <laughs> a, 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 um, a girl that I that I work with. Um, she was an EMT. Um, I was a medic, and she was an EMT truck in Brooklyn. And um, one day, she had two pediatric arrests back to back. Oh same, my gosh! Same day, you know. And you're ready to throw a net over, you know, and, and take her off somewhere, you know. But uh, you know, she I mean, they sent her home that day, you know, to sort of. Let her regroup, you know. So, do you think that's the best thing? Yeah. I, I don't, but I, and this is what, I think this is part You've of You've had a traumatic experience. Go yeah, to a corner. Go, go home and have a drink. <laughs> Leave us all alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't so, want to watch you crying all day. Get the hell out of here. So, <laughs> I got my own problems. I can just ask, because you guys, you brought it out in the beginning. Do, do your systems have something in place for people who, without a supervisor saying, you need to go to this? Do they have something in place for you guys? I have a, we have something, a number you can call, a phone number, and they, they can, uh, you know, it's supposed to be 100% confidential, and they can put you in contact with appropriate resources um, for it. But it's not, you know, nothing is triggered, like, on an event. If an event happens, there's nothing that's triggered that, you know, uh, has you do that. There's no, there's nobody watching to say, okay, this person's uh, constantly reliving an event or they're really on guard all the time about a certain situation or whatever, um, and they try to get you to go seek help because they're recognizing that maybe you don't have some signs of, of you know, post-traumatic post stress or something like that. It's sort of like you feel this, you know, if you feel it's happening, then here's, a, here's an 800 number. Don't you think that, that this is sort of treated like uh, a check a management checklist, guys, where it's something that management, yes. okay, we have an 800 number. Right, right. We have, we have something in place. We've, we've met some requirement that we have for the, yeah, for the employees 
that they can do it. Just like with OSHA, you're just like, you know, okay, we meet, meet the requirement. Here's a stupid 10-question uh, test you take every year with the same questions on it about hepatitis and tuberculosis, and we've met the requirement, you know, for that type thing. But there are agencies out there that, that I think, um, you know, uh, uh, tackle this more, you know, more efficiently, um, you know, are, are actively you know, looking out for this type of thing. I actually saw a thing on Facebook actually recently too about that, about this type of thing where if you start seeing people ex ex sort of expressing these, these, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, feelings, concerns, yeah, yeah, like they're they're putting on Facebook. You know, I can't get rid of this this like, this thing, or every every post they make is like this depressive type. Um, post or picture or whatever, and on and on and on. They would, the question was like, is there a point where you would bring that to somebody's attention? You know, is that sort of like a silent cry for help, or is it the person's um, way of, of dealing with you know what they what they're what they've experienced? You know. Yeah. So it's just so what. So what's the answer? I don't know. I I, I mean you know. I guess to a point you can say something is better than nothing. I mean, having yeah. uh, uh, some sort of resource to turn to if you're feeling that this is going on. Um, but I think it's important for us as providers to recognize the, the you know, the signs of it. Um, so if we, see our, if we see our partner going through something, we can maybe, you know, uh, 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 you know, let them know that there's there's an outlet. Yeah, Point them know, in the right direction. With your bloodborne pathogen uh, example was really terrific if you think about it, because we have to go for titers I, every year to see if we're still immune to hepatitis B. Right, right, and TB. Easy peasy, seventy five bucks or whatever it costs them. You get the titer, you see if you're immune to it. Uh, but we don't do anything to find out if the person's being uh, brutalized, you know, emotionally. Right. Yeah. There's no. There's no like therapy session to. Wouldn't it be nice if 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 the if even the doc said, listen, you know, have you been having intrusive thoughts? Are you finding yourself not able to sleep or not able to wake up? Has right. it been, has it been affecting your sex life? Do you yeah. How about a little bit of a screening? Uh, when you, everybody has to do a, a, a annual physical. I mean, I mean right. they do that type of stuff, like with a police officer. If he shoots somebody, isn't there like a psychological yes thing after that to make sure that they are dealing with that? I mean, even if it was a bad guy, they still killed another human being, shot another human being, and they you know they they have to go through some sort of uh, psychological screening before they return to work. So if, if you were on a pediatric arrest, would your supervisor automatically come over to you and say, you know, how you doing? How no. you been? No. Never I, 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 I have had them do that at uh, some places that I've worked, but um, I guess it depends upon where you work. And I also think, and I think, too, some of it goes, I think supervisors will do that, managers will do that, and I think they do it. Um, based on the the individual employee, I, I think if they feel you're the type of person that handles things well, they've seen you handle other calls that have been other serious calls and things like that, and you've handled them well, they might not reach out to you. But doesn't that just go counter, I mean, especially to what Dave is saying, that it's the cumulative effect? Right. And but, it could be that we're just better at hiding it. Yeah, yeah. You know what, Josh? Let me um, I gotta let me just talk a little bit about um, uh, EMS manager real quick before we get too late. We'll oh yeah, I was wondering about that. About 15 minutes in here, so let me just go ahead and, and uh, uh, take a two-minute break uh, while we do that. So guys, just uh, hang tight while I uh, let uh, this episode of EMS Office Hours is sponsored by EMS Manager. They have been consistently helping EMS agencies save time and energy with their innovative web-based software for staff scheduling and management. They have a mobile web app that's accessible from smartphones and other mobile devices with an easy-to-use web interface that's viewable from anywhere on the World Wide Web. You can check your own schedule and managers and staff can both oversee, manage, and make changes to employee schedules from anywhere. Anthony Tucci, who is the Deputy Chief in Western Burks EMS, that's over in Reading, Pennsylvania, shares with us that his overtime has been cut by 50% since he started using EMS Manager a year ago. 
He says our overtime went from 4,000 hours to last year to 2,000 hours this year. And he says this has been a huge financial savings for his agency. And why not? EMS Manager is affordable. It's priced based on the size of an organization. And because it's web-based, your employee schedule and software is located over in the cloud. And that means that there's no additional IT costs that you've got to worry about. And then there's always free training. There's free tech support and free system software updates. So if you want to try this out for your system, go check it out. There's a free customizable trial of EMS Manager. You can get it at emsmanager.net. I want to thank EMS Manager for sponsoring EMS Office Hours and the other shows from the ProMed Network. EMS Manager is proud to support EMS providers and managers through this sponsorship, and they support what we do. Go show your support for them, guys. Take a few minutes and sign up. Go get a free trial at emsmanager.net. Show them that you appreciate their support by trying out the software. Visit emsmanager.net. It's a Ladtex EMS Manager. It's for online employee scheduling and workforce management. And don't forget, if you do try it out, make sure you tell them that you heard it here on EMS Office Hour and that Jim and Josh sent you on over. This is paramedic Greg Freeze from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and Center Learn Solutions, the EMS Educast, and Everyday EMS Tips. You're listening to EMS Office Hours with my good friend Jim Hoffman. Enjoy. I always love Greg's, Greg's plug. Yeah, it sounds sincere. Yes. It's yes. such a hard thing to get nowadays. I know, I know. Sincerity. Yeah. A little late in the, a little late in the sponsorship today, but um, I think we... We, we still know, I, love them all the yeah, same. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to break up the conversation. I mean, I could have just plugged it in there haphazardly, but, uh, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention uh, is Eric is in the chat and... He talks about you know um, some of the uh, experiences and talks about the, the, a lot. Of, one thing he does is is, is how talk about how the reality fits in for his students when he takes them to the autopsy room. You know, and they get to sort of see some of the stuff up front. You know, up, up front and personal. You know. And I kind of agree with that because, uh, you know what, uh, when I first went to the autopsy thing at the ME um, in paramedic school, I was like, what is this doing for me looking at dead bodies and then chopping up, you know, a body here on the table? But now, thinking back, it, it is the type of thing that does, I sort of... For some people, it's their first exposure to a right, dead person. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I was an EMT for three years, so I've seen and I and I saw it before, but not at this level where they were... You know, I mean, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure you've been to the the enemy there in, in the city, Josh, right? And actually, uh, I didn't get they to hack do them it. All. So I actually didn't get to do it. Uh, I, the, my first trip to the ME was uh, delivering a uh, a body. Oh. This yeah. is in the times we still did removals, and yeah. uh, we no, had a guy, like a one of the Latin kings, and it was a mess. This is uh, medic school, and we went down into the city, no. and, uh, and they, 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 I mean, they had, like, three bodies sitting there, and these guys were, like, just chopping them up like they were butchers. Yep. Uh, actually, my, my first autopsy was really uh, when I was uh, in CC, and that was, uh, that was, you know, at that point in time, I've seen more dead bodies than I, I know how to count anymore, and uh, it just... It had a, a real scientific appeal, a real learning appeal. Yeah, it wasn't, my uh, learning was more just like a graphic. Right. You know. Well, I watch zombie movies for that. Ah, I know, right? Yeah, now you don't. You can just tell your student go watch a zombie movie. That's about what you're gonna. Actually, that's my that's my sort of critical level, my critical threshold for a good zombie movie. How much does it look like an actual two week? You know, left in a hot room. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Struck a nerve, Dave. Sorry. You're not looking for one of those freshly crossed over. Uh, yeah. Huh? No, no, no. It's it's the ones that had time to ripen. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, getting back to you know some of our uh, some of the points. You know, one of the things that we said here, Dave, and I know you're a little new to the program, but Jim and I don't ever say that we have the answers, that we're not coming up with a solution. We're bringing these things up into the conversation so we can think about it and maybe through evolution and, and discussion 
you know, there will be a solution, but, you know, we're not, we're not coming up with the answers here. But one of the things I sort of wanted to get, get into was, you know, what do you do when you start seeing some of those things in one of your, uh, uh, in one of your, um, partners or coworkers? You know, some of the signs and symptoms. And, and, you know, maybe you want to talk about some of the signs and symptoms, you know, that you might, uh, experience. You asking me? Yeah, I was directing that at you, Dave. Sorry. I like how you say we don't want to come up with answers, and then you ask me a question. Right, right. It puts you on the spot for the answers. Right, right. No, I was sort of explaining that. Never mind. (laughs) Well, one thing they talk about is is looking out for things like clusters of symptoms that get associated with it. Um, And this is more if you're going to actually diagnose it, but... They tell you look out for for clusters, and three of the big ones is, is uh, we think we mentioned this a little bit ago, talk about reliving the event, you know, when, when someone's having those recurring nightmares, they're having those intrusive images um, that occur just about any time, you know. Uh, they can have extreme emotional reactions, physical reactions, you know, palpitations, you know, panic, things like that, when they get reminded of what happened, you know. Um, Another thing they talk about uh, as far as clusters is, is, is they try, person try to avoid those reminders, you know, places, people, thoughts, things like that, that are sort of associated with that, that trauma. Um, and that people who are suffering from PTSD, you know, they feel that emotional detachment. They withdraw from friends, they withdraw from families, sort of lose interest in everyday activities. Um, you know, so that's another sort of cluster. Of that too, and usually they say, but they, you know, two, three or more of these is, is what they say might be more that diagnosis for it. And then the other thing that I think is something that you might not really recognize is the people that are on guard or aroused, you know, hyper aroused at all times. And people might see that more, I guess, as like, oh, he's experienced, he knows what's going on, he can expect what's going to happen. But you know, we're talking about. In that instance, there's more things of like, you know, uh, uh, being very irritable, sudden anger that is, is sort of, you know, non, you know, not really a provoked sort of anger. And, and Dave, you mentioned this before too, you know, having problems sleeping, you know, no concentration, um, you know, easily startled, things like that. Right. Um, and there's other things too that, that are sort of more minor, but can still be, be uh, linked to it, you know, and I think you mentioned it too, David, things like relationship stuff, sexual type things, you know, um, all this type of stuff sort of, uh, uh, and if you look at a lot, if you go online and look at some of these uh, signs and symptoms of it, I think everyone can say, oh, I have that, I have that, oh, I got that too, oh, I have that too, you know, chronic pain, fatigue, stomach pains, you know, muscle cramps, you know, it's like everybody could say they have that, headaches. It's a tumor. It, well, I think what it is, I think it, it's being able to link it to um, issues that might have happened, you know, uh, to you that, that might be causing it. Um, and thinking of, of, you know, if you're the type of person that sort of has risk factors to, to getting PTSD, you know, are you, the, you know, someone who... Um, but these are the things, and, and this is all good stuff, and we were sort of talking just briefly before the show about this. It mimics a lot of those suicidal or right. depression um, right. uh, signs and symptoms. But where, you know, I was wondering, because, uh, and I, I, I'll direct this back to Dave, and it's not a solution, Dave, so don't, you know, I'm not putting it on the spot, but... You know, you've had a lot more experience in both training and being in in this this environment. How do you sort of pick these things out? What are some of the telltales that you might see a coworker exhibit? I mean, are, are there? You know, one of the things you got to look for is not just did they have these kind of symptoms, but how is it affecting them in their relationships in life, on the job, right. even how many sick days did they take this year? You know, do you see do you see a pattern to it that they're they're working four days instead of five days a week? They're using every sick day they have, and they're they're not exactly coming down with something specific. That would be a clue. You know, they used to be the first person online for uh, for overtime, and now they're just not taking it unless it's mandated. Uh, so there are there are things that we can notice, especially 
if you've got your partner who's your partner, I mean, you know, we're supposed to take care of each other. That, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes your partner is the partner from hell, and it's every day with this person. But, but even them, we have to watch. And if, the, and if they are the partner from hell, maybe they already have PTSD, or maybe mm-hmm. they have you. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I, I think you need somebody needs to look at it from the big picture. And, and sometimes not everybody has the big picture. If you've got a person uh, who doesn't have a steady partner, and they're using sick days like crazy, unlike they did before. Nobody would know, except the supervisor. Personnel might notice it. You know? Yeah, I, I think it's like you said. It, it's it's looking. It's not just having these symptoms. It's it's looking at the overall thing because you you know you can run around and point the finger at everyone and say that they have it. You know, it's and I think this is why it's important for you know uh, organizations and 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 educational institutions to, to figure a way to, you know, either give, you know, have the resources to, to help the people and to be able to recognize as managers. I mean, either, you know, managers should be going to classes and be able to, to, you know, get clues on how to recognize it for their, you know, when they see their employee doing it, when they see some, some things like you mentioned, you know, taking too many sick days and, 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 you know, calling in sick for, for no reason and, and things like that, where, uh, they're, trained on how to deal with it, you know. And, and you, you know those parties that some of us have like every week or every month or something, they stop going to that? Right. Or, or they have an increase in alcohol use or, or, or the bowling thing that they were always involved with. They're not involved in that anymore. Right. Um, and, and you know what? I, I mean, the truth is, if, if we believe this is a disease, this should be, this should be, we should be getting direction from an epidemiologist who can say to us, you know how we know we got the flu, we got a, a flu outbreak, we're counting the number of uh, uh, visits for, uh, you know, vomiting and diarrhea or, uh, or and difficulty breathing and a cough and a fever. You know, right. if they're doing that, if somebody's looking at this, and I don't, when I say an epidemiologist, I would go to an epidemiologist and say, what can we do on our job so that we notice this with our own folks? Or... You can just go to a you know a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a specialist in this field, but but I think I think it's not somebody who treats it. We're asking for somebody, and not to give us the checklist because the checklist is pretty useless. Um, for I mean not not completely useless, but no give us the, right. But it's not that overall uh, scanning that that occurs that that will pick something up. You know right. a checklist unless it's applied, won't pick up anything. Here's, here's my favorite, which is what I tell students. If they ask you about any disease used as a weapon of mass destruction, the answer is starts out with flu-like symptoms. <laughs> How does anthrax start out? <laughs> flu-like <laughs> symptoms. Yeah. You know, I, so, uh, so uh, you know, how, how does, I mean, you know, if a person has depression, if a person is, is upset, if they're having strife with their, with their spouse or their loved one or whatever, uh, if they're having economic problems, do they get more irritable? Sure, it could be just economic problems. Holy crap, that's everybody in EMS. Yeah. We're all doomed. And that, and that ties back to another subject. You know, yeah, we we'll get, get there. We need we'll to get, get paid like nurses. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. Listen, guys, when we end it there, there's only about maybe two minutes left of the show. Um, Dave, you want, you want to close any closing thoughts or anything like that? Anything you want to mention? Anybody could find you somewhere, website? Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, anything like that you want to? Certainly I'm on LinkedIn. Facebook I use for social contact. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I have to say this was a wonderful experience. I think you guys have a, a great format. I would, I'd like to, uh, see, you know, who else, who else comes in. I, I know you guys have some of the, the IM stuff that goes on or the messaging. I, I haven't seen it. And, uh, it's, this is terrific. I mean, more people should be, they should be jumping on this. We should I be hearing from people. I know. I want to. I want to get up to. I want to get up to more than the. You know what? 000. I have. A, I have a couple. Sing it, of, brother. I have a couple of places that I'm affiliated with. Uh, on Long Island, uh, certainly I could put it on my Facebook page, but uh, on Long Island, and I'm affiliated with two uh, universities, the colleges that are, are the teaching paramedic. Maybe I can spread the word there and put it on their pages as well. Well, sure. you know, and we've talked about this before. You know, there's there's sort of two levels of EMS uh, that, we've, that we've observed. And it's the, the person who comes in, does their job, goes out, maybe makes some overtime when they can. And they're the people who are involved in trying to improve 
you know, where we're at and, and uh, create a better environment. And those are the people who listen. Those are the people who tune in. They get involved in Facebook. They get involved in outside, uh, you know, outside groups. And, and that's, you know, unfortunately, that's who we're catering to. But as we sort of show that there is a benefit to being involved and getting, getting uh, active, I, I think that it sort of it will spread. Because that's my hope. Yeah. I want to mention, I just want to mention, too, um, uh, RJ I posted on Facebook, and I lost the link, but he just posted in the, the group there. It's a website called uh, safecallnow.org. Um, and it's a site that is uh, run by other um, uh, public safety uh, professionals, uh, including law enforcement, first responders, fire, all that good stuff. Um, so it's, it's like a, a number you can call if you've got sorts of thoughts of suicide, if you feel like you have a dependency on something, or just need help, you're not quite sure where to go. Uh, it's a resource that's just for uh, public safety professionals and their families. So. Uh, anyone listening that feels that they might need some type of help like that, be sure to go and uh, give them a call. Uh, you can go to the website. It's safecallnow.org, and they have email there as well. You can email them and uh, maybe get some, some information that way as well. So we'll check that out. I'll put a, of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes um, on the blog. That'll be up there on Wednesday. So, well, that, that's it. I guess uh, thanks, to Dave, Josh, for uh, for joining Jim, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. All right. Um, That's it for us, guys. We are out of time. Until next week, as always, Jim Hoffman for EMS Office Hours. Stay safe.